0: The law becomes established in their heart by the work of God. That is not to get to heaven. That that is out of appreciation for God getting you to heaven. Welcome, my dear listeners. You've reached or you're on the podcast that they might know. Today's lesson is that we establish the law. And if this is a blessing to you, be sure and hit the subscribe button, put in your information. You can reach it on the uh, website, my website, godlyincrease.org, where you can also find my book and my blog. Uh, Now for this upcoming message. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with the speaker Grant your Holy Spirit to enlighten your word. Let your word be a lamp to our feet and a a light to our path. May it start as a dim, handheld lamp and just become the noonday sun. There is no light like the light of God. You said, let there be light. Your word says God is light. You are light. You are truth. We're all liars. We live in darkness, but you are the light of life. Lord, be the light of life as we look at these scriptures in Romans this very day. I pray that you would grant my hearers eyes to see with ears, to hear with a heart to understand. Touch the hearts of those who hear and are not saved, that they may come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Touch the hearts of those who believe, that they might be rock solid in the faith, strengthened in the word of faith, in the word of truth. Bless us all in what we do in this lesson. I ask it in Jesus' name, for your honor and glory. Amen. The Apostle Paul, as we conclude Romans chapter 3 and move on to Romans chapter 4, is making this point of we establish the law. It's a big point because Paul is contrasting faith and the works of the law. Do people get to heaven through the works of the law or through faith? And people will go one way or the other. Well, if it's faith, it's not works of the law. If it's works of the law, it's really not faith. But really, in actuality, according to truth, the works of the law create Rather, faith creates the works of the law. And I'm gonna go we're gonna look at that. So Romans 323 is a main verse from last time's message is for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verses twenty-three and twenty-four. For all have sinned, yes, and fall short. Now f- a person falls short by a mile or by an inch. He falls short. When you fall into the ravine, you die. Death is the answer for those who fall. And it doesn't matter if you don't make the jump, if you go down, if you can't reach the other side. What matters is you fell short. And that's, you fall short of God's glory. We all far fall much further than an inch when it comes to God's glory, if we would be truthful. And therefore, he says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And that's a contrast between us. It's not about our works, our goodness. It's about his grace, his redemption in Christ Jesus. So let's establish these terms from these verses all have sinned and all are who are saved are being justified freely by his grace through the redemption or the buying back of our souls from sin that is in Christ Jesus Paul then asks a short and important question where then is the glorying or how we love to glory in ourselves we we talking we're talking about pride my beloved listeners well here he's saying asking a question Where, where's the glory in and he then answers it's excluded we ask and, and he answers with a better question by what manner of law of works why is the glorying is excluded is it by faith or is it by some manner of law of works? He answers, no, but by a law of faith. We reckon, therefore, that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. He's dividing, to begin with, he's dividing faith and works apart. It's not always that way, as as I hope we're going to see in this lesson. I hope My listeners will see in this lesson. But to begin with, he begins with this, We reckon, therefore, that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. That's a key point which people in many denominations and many beliefs will not acknowledge. They will not accept the fact that these two are ever separate, but they are. Reckon is an interesting term in Greek. It is le- legitimize, logizomai, le- I'm sorry, logizomai, which is the root term of logic. It is, it's logic or logical. It's related to reason reasoning. It is to be logical or to reason to a logical conclusion. We should all understand the idea. I mean, we all do it all the time, but this term is much more also actually than reasoning. It's an accounting term. As in numbers, it's to compute, calculate, count. It's like printing numbers on a, on a ledger. There's, I mean, we all know there's nothing more accurate than math. One plus one equals two. It's just like that. No matter how complicated the equations get, it's always straight, even, right, or wrong. The accuracy of what we believe, then, is very, very important. Now, now, in this point, he says, we reckon, we reckon, therefore, that a man is justified by faith. We count on it, and it's something that's that accurate. We, we we reckon that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the Lord. This is what we're trusting in, and our faith is so clear that it's like math. It's so trustworthy, it's so accurate that it's like math. We reckon, and it's something that takes place in time. The accuracy of what we believe is very important. What we believe changes everything. It changes us. What we believe changes us. 2 Corinthians 4.13 says, But having the same spirit of faith according to what it is written, now this is somebody who wrote something maybe hundreds, maybe thousands of years ago, he says, but having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak. So what's happening? Well, we, we believe something first, then it gets translated into speaking and eventually it gets translated into doing or immediately in, in the heart, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and will present us with you. Now there's something really big. I mean, we believe, therefore we speak, and what we are believing is ultimately in the resurrection from the dead. And we're not talking about just in this life, but it includes in this life concerning our heart, our spirit, our character, everything that we are in our soul is transformed and being changed. For all things, in verse 15 of 2 Corinthians 4, he goes on and says, are for your sakes, so that grace, having spread to more and more people, will cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Now, this thanksgiving is very important. This is the thanksgiving of praise. This is the thanksgiving of acknowledging that Jesus Christ is the author of salvation. This is the thanksgiving that comes into our heart and our soul, and has appreciation for what God did, and as a result of that appreciation, their lives have changed. I mean, once upon a time, they would, we would never speak. We would never say God is good. We would never say praise God. We would never acknowledge God among friends and family. Oftentimes, because people don't acknowledge God, and people don't believe in God, and uh, the believer believes in God, and things change. His life changes, and he, be, he begins to express it. The one alternative to believing God's inspired word, and in this case, that salvation comes through faith, and faith alone, one alternative to believing God's inspired word is to not acknowledge his existence. And there really isn't a God. Maybe whether it's in our speech, or it's in our heart, or in our mind, there's there's that's one alternative. No, no existence. God doesn't exist. The other alternative is to call God a liar. Well, no, I wouldn't call God a liar. Well, if you don't believe what God's word says, or if you change what God's word says, those who add to or take away from, add to or take away their life, part of in the eternal life, or add the plagues of the book, as in Deuteronomy 28, Revelations 22, you know, in these chapters, in these portions of Scripture, God brings condemnation to people who mishandle the Word of God. So if the things that I'm, are being said here are true, and they are, because they're inspired by God, then what, the last thing we want to do is we want to call God a liar. I sincerely hope that all my, my dear listeners right now can appreciate the seriousness of calling the eternal, self-existent, infinite, holy, and intrinsically righteous God a liar. Those are not just terms. They are terms that define a being that's beyond anything we could even imagine, let alone that we've experienced. Trust me when, when I say it would be better to not say, or imply, or think, or feel or dare I say it, even believe God is a liar. So what Paul has just said, we reckon therefore that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. If you're part of a religious belief system that where people believe that it's, wor- it's faith and works, listen to these words carefully. We reckon therefore that a man is justified by faith apart. From the works of the law. Don't please, don't change that. Consider it. And we'll consider where works come in, but for now, understand, we are justified by faith, apart from the works of the law. I know there's other scriptures. you have to allow them to fit together clearly. In this portion, in its context, it must read the way it's reading. Verse 29, or is God the God of Jews only? Why does he say that? We have to follow his logic. If men are justified by the law, and only the Jews have the law, and in times past they had only the law, they were the only ones who had the law, Gentiles weren't given what the Jews were given on Mount Sinai, then that would mean that God is God of the Jews only, For it would mean that men could only be saved by the law and the works of the law. Therefore, only Jews would be saved. Follow the logic. That would mean God only saves Jews. He then continues, is he not the God of Gentiles also? Which he then adds, yes, of Gentiles also. So that means men couldn't be saved by the law. Because if men were only saved by the law, then only those... Who had the law of Moses. Would ever ever be saved. Again it is very important. That we follow the logic and reasoning. Of the apostle Paul. If so be that God is one. And he shall justify. The circumcision by faith. And the uncircumcision through faith. And we're not talking. Not having any knowledge. We're not talking about. Not having knowledge of the God. We're talking about works of the law. Do we then make the law of none effect through faith? Do we then then make the law of no effect through faith? So he's saying God is one and because of his consistency he does not treat the Jew one way and the Gentile another. God is fair and righteous and most importantly consistent. So he. he he justifies the Jew and he justifies the Gentile. So what what is the difference between a Jew and a Gentile? Why is this point important? Well, let us be brief, but let us just go off track just for a moment to understand that God is sovereign. What is a Jew? Well, Abraham wasn't always a Jew. Abraham was taken from among the people, the land of the Called in he took them into the land from the land of Ur and he brought them to another place, but more importantly, he made him into something different. He made him into a man who was saved by faith, to represent all those who are saved by faith. The difference between a Jew and a Gentile, God chooses the Jews out of a fallen world in sin to reveal that he is the author of salvation, that is God. God chooses. He can pick people, use people, change people, if he so wills to do so. He does what he can do, and he does what we cannot do. If God is complete and completely in control, where does that leave us? Here's a key point. Living by faith in God. If God is the author of salvation, you better be trusting in God. You see where Paul is always leading us. And he's bringing out these points between Jew and Gentile. And he's talking about the law. And he's talking about faith. And he's talking about Jew and Gentile being saved by faith. And that brings us right here. God is the author of faith. Better be trusting in God. Because it's faith in God that gets people saved. That saves people. Because God is the one who's the object of our faith. Now, that's really important. It's not just about faith. I mean, right now I'm sitting on a chair. The chair is holding me up. I have faith in this chair. But having faith in this chair is not, Yeah, I mean, it is not going to get me into heaven. We, we have faith in all kinds of things, in all kinds of people, different religions. That faith does not save. It's faith in the one true God and faith in the in the means that God has provided particularly in Jesus Christ that we'll get a person to heaven <clears throat> I might add that people are very quick when they talk about think about the sovereignty of God to ask this question what gives ro- God the right now people may not even say that outwardly openly they may not clearly articulate the words But be clear and be understanding That what comes from the heart Is really what matters And if there is a resentment in the heart That God has the last and final say In every say Well that's an indication that God isn't where He needs to be in your heart Or in mine He was here first God is eternal That's why when Moses said You know what's your name Who shall I say to the children of Israel Sent me And God said I am that I am There's no time with God. He's timeless. He invented time. It's something for us. I've heard it put it's a means of change. And things are always changing. And there's growing. And there's getting old. And all of these things. And it's related to time. Movement related to time. But God is everywhere present. God is eternal. God is omnipotent. God is all these omnis that we are not. He's not manipulated by time. He's the I am. He was always here in the beginning god he was here before the beginning he was first he's last god is god and we are not have we are we in control of anything i don't know have, have who what man has placed the sun in the sky in in the heavens you know who 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 keeps the milky way revolving in its orbit you know So look, if we can understand just how small we are and how little control we have over so much, including even our own heart beating, I mean, we need to give God his place. Paul continues, do we then make the law of no effect through faith? He answers very quickly, God forbid. God forbid. He's not doing away with the law. Not at all. Not for an instance. There's a place for the law. But it doesn't belong in that place Where justification is by faith alone In the in this statement God forbid It's very strong in Greek All God's children should feel And be convinced As strongly as Paul was No, we establish the law God forbid No, we establish the law We understand the contrast That Paul is drawing Between faith and and works of the law. Works to get a person to heaven. Works as if there was some goodness in man that could get him to heaven. That's the real key. A man who does not understand sin as he should. That's why the last lesson coming out of chapter 3 in Paul's teaching of Rome is about the depths of sin and what he went through in in all the phrases of Romans 3 to explain sin. If you haven't listened to that, you might want to do so. However, instead, we who live by faith establish the law. We who have already been saved, we who have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, acknowledged that we are sinful and that we have been haters of God and not lovers of God. To establish something is to make it permanent. Establish in Greek is to stand or it's lasting. The law of God is the law of love. The greatest commandment is... You shall love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what makes heaven the place you want to be. I mean, what makes planet Earth a misery to be present here is that there's so much hate, so much violence, taking advantage of one another, the cruelty, the words that tear people apart. Are, I mean, the rejection of it all, it's it's awful. I mean, we want to be honest. This is not a planet of love. It's a planet of war. The history of the world is the history of war in more ways than one. Now, as Paul goes on and begins chapter four, four as four begins, Paul draw, draws a difference between trusting in ourselves and trusting in God. Verse four, one. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather? Has found according to the flesh. We might ask it this way, what value is there in the flesh? Or what can a man accomplish apart from God? Verse 2, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has whereof to glory, but not toward God. See, to glory is to take credit and receive honor. We, of course, as sinners, we're just right there to take all our credit for anything we do. Or anything that's being done. The problem is. While we are putting ourselves on the. On a, while we're patting ourselves on the back. For the great things we do. You know. What does God think? You know. It's like going to a football game. And you know, everybody goes. And you got the different teams. And one team wins. One team loses. And the one team that wins. Oh. You know. 10,000 people. And they're all shouting. You know. We won. We won. But you know. The fact is. You know. The 10,000 or 50,000 people in the stands. You know. They weren't on the field. You know. And that's, that's exactly the kind of thing here. You know, God, first of all, is the author of salvation. There's no, we save ourselves. And so then the other thing is, you know, what does God think about people who think that, who believe that way, that somehow the works of the law save a person? Paul tells us right here, we can't take a bow. And that's what we learned from Abraham. Abraham, as far as Scripture is concerned, was not justified by works, keeping the works of the law. For what says the Scripture? This is what Paul says in, in, uh, in Romans chapter 4. Abraham believed God and it was reckoned unto him for righteousness. There's that reckoning word. It was placed on his account. It was reckoned. What was? The, the belief, the faith, was reckoned on his account for righteousness. He was made righteous in God's eyes. So I want to run back to Genesis chapter 15. If you're in a place where you can read or if you're in the car, definitely don't do that. If you're in Genesis chapter 15, we read these words. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, Lord God, What will you give me since I'm childish? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Abram also said, since you have given me no son, one who has been born in my house is my heir. He's now telling God what to do. Abram, no person in scripture is perfect. Abram is then told by God, Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, this man will not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. My dear listeners, understand that when God spoke these things to Abraham, he will, Abraham was in his old age. Equally was his wife. To believe God that he would be the father of many people and many nations, it would take faith in a miracle. I'm not pr- pushing miracle belief here. Jesus told the story of Lazarus and the, and, the, and the poor man. And in that story, they both go to hell, and, Abra, and Abraham is being told, or rather the poor man is being told by Lazarus, you know, send, send Lazarus up and, and let him go to my brothers. To which Abraham replied, you know, they have the law, let them hear that. If they can't hear the law, they won't believe even though someone's raised from the dead. The point in that story is miracles don't save. What saves is a person trusting in the word of God. All of the word of God can be referred to as law. It's not talking about law there. It's talking about hearing the law. It's about hearing what God has said. That is what saves, which brings us back to faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says, By faith even Sarah herself received... Ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life. She was old. Since she considered him faithful who had promised. This is far beyond faith alone. Paul is not talking about faith alone. The Bible does not talk about faith alone. The writer of Hebrews does not talk about faith alone, as if it is disconnected from what God has said. It's about taking God at his word. Verse 12 in Hebrews 11, Therefore, even from one man, and one who was as good as dead, being that all, at that there were born descendants who were just as the stars of heaven in number, and as innumerable grains of sand along the seashore. All these, and that's all the people in Hebrews chapter 11, died in faith without receiving the promises. But having seen and welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. This kind of faith is no different than Mary. When spoken to by an angel that she would conceive while she was a virgin, Mary even said to the angel, How can these things be, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For that reason also the Holy Child will be called the Son of God. Sarah bore her children in her old old age through the natural course of events, and God enabled Sarah and Abram to bear a child. In the case of Mary, a virgin, he brought forth a child from a virgin. No miracle saved any, any of these people. All of these people were clearly saved in Hebrews chapter 11, and in Romans they were saved by faith in God's word. Now continuing in Genesis 15, and this is very important, verse 5, And he took him outside, uh, God took Abram outside and said, Now look towards the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Now there's the trust factor. You have no child right now. You're You're too old to conceive. Do you trust me? you believe in what I am telling you right now? And you know what? This is what it says. Then he believed in the Lord. This is Genesis 15. And he credited to him as righteousness. This is before the giving of the law. This is an account in Genesis. In, in the days of Abraham, not Moses. When it says God credited to him. We are in the courtroom of God so that righteousness is placed on the account of the believer apart from the works of the law which the law wasn't even given yet. Therefore, there are no works attached to Abraham or any believer at this point in their lives. If you believe in Jesus Christ this very day, if you trust that God sent him to save men from their sins, you will be saved. There is no name under heaven given among my my men whereby you must be saved only the name of Jesus as one very famous person once reported saying my entire life is a thank you to God for what he did for me then on that day that that person received Jesus Christ he was saved the rest of his life amounted to good works establishing the law in his heart a heart of love why? Because the law that proceeds from the heart of God, and that's where it originates, it fills the hearts of people who are filled with appreciation, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the spirit of thanksgiving for what God did. And that are the works of the law that are established. In verse 7 of 15, and this is very important, He said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of of Ur of the Chaldeans, to give you this land to possess. And I said. And he said Lord God. How may I know I will possess it. He said to him bring me. Three year old heifers. Three year old female goat. Three year old ram. Turtle doves and young pigeons. Then he brought all these to him. And cut them in two. And laid each half on the opposites. Of the other. And he did that. Did not cut the birds. Put the birds on one side. And he he. Prey came down upon the carcasses, and Abram drove them away. In this in this passage, he's setting a stage which was cultural belief. Back in those days, when men entered into a covenant with one another, they would do this. They would offer sacrifice. It was not without cost of something, and the cost was blood. And then they would walk together through the cut pieces and enter in a covenant, a covenant of blood with one another, by which they were both responsible to one another, to keep the deal that they were making. In verse 12, however, God is going to show something very clear to anyone who has ears to hear. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. Then God said to Abram, God... <coughs> Then God said to Abram. God spoke to Abram while he was sleeping. That's not what God said. He was speaking while he was sleeping. Because it said that a deep sleep fell upon Abram. This was a vision. This was as in Joseph. Was a, came an, an angel came upon Joseph at the birth of Jesus. And told him, don't fear And don't do anything to Mary because Mary actually is a virgin and she's going to give birth. The point being is Abram is not taking part in the events because he's asleep. God wanted him and all others to understand that God alone saves. Going on, it says, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve. And afterward, they will come out with many possessions. He's given promises. Verse 15, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation, they will return for the wrongdoing of the Ammonite is not yet complete. You understand something that's very important here. Number one. God's the one doing all this while Abram is asleep, but he's getting these thoughts told to him in his sleep, in his subconscious, and he's getting promises that are for a time beyond his life on earth. Life is not just life on earth. Life is beyond the grave. We are spiritual beings, and though the body goes into the ground, the spirit goes neither into the presence of God Or it goes to that place no one should want to go, and that's hell. The Bible records Abram sleeping and God alone participating in the covenant. Verse 17, Now it came about when the sun had set, that it was very dark. And behold, a smoking oven and a flaming torch appeared, which passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. There it is, saying, To your descendants I have given This land. The covenant was sealed by God as he walked between the sacrificial pieces of the animals that were offered. Now the point here we want to ask ourselves is there was a torch that pierced, passed between these pieces, a flaming torch, a burning torch, a flame, that which burns, that which reduces something to ashes. Now, what was it that passed between the pieces? It was God alone. And it's symbolic, it's a picture, a clear picture of what happened on Calvary, would happen, you know, some, I don't know, 14, 1500 years later when, uh, when Jesus, uh, at the end of his earthly ministry, was offered up, went into trial. Men rejected him. He healed a nation. He revealed that he was God. To his disciples, he walked on water. He calmed the sea. You know, he, he produced fish from nothing, bread from nothing. He, he acknowledged, he, he revealed to the people of the day that he was the creator of God. And at the end, his words, well, they made people want to put him to death. Because he spoke the truth, he condemned people. As first sermon, they took him to the edge of a cliff and wanted to throw him off to his death because he, he dared to say they were like Gentiles and uh, they were worried they needed to be baptized in, into the faith because uh, following the ministry of John the Baptist, which was to say a man was a Gentile, to become a Jew, he had to be baptized. He was calling Jews like what they were, sinners. Sinners. So Jesus has to go to the cross at the man at the hands of men who rejected him. And in that hour we hear him say, "Father, forgive them for they know not what they do." What was the horror of the cross? Was it the rejection that Christ faced by men? I mean the first 3 hours and the night pre- preceding that when he's going through these trials and he's facing Herod and Pilate and they're asking him these questions and they're tying him to a post and lashing the skin off his body. And uh, all all the horrors that went on before he even got to the cross where men rejected God. They rejected Christ. They rejected God. They put him on a cross. I mean, this is the picture of sinful men. This is what men do. We reject one another because we hate God and we reject God. We want control and we want to be God and we know not how to handle it. We can't do it. But our egos, our pride is so great that we take matters in our own hands. So Jesus is, I'm I'm picturing what sin is for a reason, is because it says, for he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. There's the, the transaction that takes place, the transaction through the covenant that God alone fulfills, None of us listening to this, none of us reading Romans 3, 4, the works of God, the inspired word, none of us were born 2,000 years ago. The work of redemption, the work of salvation, was done not now, if we receive this word, it was done 2,000 years ago. The work hadn't been done for hundreds of years, thousands of years, and people were being saved for all of that time, before the offering was even accomplished. You see, in time, men haven't haven't done anything. The works don't have anything to do with it, with salvation, our own works, because it's a work that God accomplished. Number one, on the cross where it's revealed that men rejected God. But that's not the real work. The real work is the fact that God is holy and righteous and good and he must punish sin. It's like a judge in court in a courtroom. If you've ever been in a courtroom, been there n- numerous times, not for myself, but you know, for others. And you know you, you sit in that courtroom and you get the, the impact of the judge who has the right to say, you know, you go in or you don't go in or whatever the penalties are. And he's carrying out the law, the law written in men's hearts. We have consciences and we put people in prison for doing things that are wrong. Where does all of that come from? It's, it's God that it comes from. Well, God's the author of, you know, man's conscience. God is the author of the law. And when man breaks the law, there's this holy God who's ready to punish But because God is love, because God wants to save, but because God doesn't want to send everyone to hell, he wants to pour out grace and mercy on some, he provided a way. Now on that some word, people will get indignant, some will get anxious, and and why some? And that goes back to sinful men who question what God does. Does God have right over the clay to do what he will? Turn some into pieces of, of, of pottery that are magnificent and worthy to sit in the king's house or some that are just base and you know, worthy only to throw garbage in. You know, this is in God's hands. God makes no man sin. All men are responsible for their own actions, their own beliefs. And that responsibility carries them to one place or another. God is responsible. And as the umbrella over all, he chooses what he is as God. Remember this. When you're thinking about free will and all of that comes up, that God is freer than we are. I'm free. You're free to make choices. I can choose to walk across this room. I cannot choose to walk to the moon. I cannot choose to fly. I cannot choose to breathe underwater. water. You see, there are limitless things that I'm not free to do. So when you talk about free, understand the nature of freedom and understand that God is free to do anything. God has the right to do anything he wants. God has the authority to do what he pleases because he's the eternal self-existing God he's always been. Now, as we begin to think along that line, as we begin to consider that God can do anything, when we begin to consider that God is holy and just and true and righteous and that he's all-powerful and all-present, understand that he is a God of infinite love as well. And that for all eternity in an eternal state, God the Father loved perfectly and eternally and infinitely God the Son, equally Holy Spirit and God the Son loved equally the Father and the Holy Spirit. Three persons in one God. I can't explain that to you. I only believe it because it's in the Word of God. Father, Son and Holy Spirit in which there is love beyond measure. Love incomprehensible. When God poured out his wrath on a sacrifice, that sacrifice took his place for me. When God did that, God was doing something that went against his nature. His nature as the Father is to love the Son and the Holy Spirit. The nature of the Son is to love the Father, to be pleasing to the Father in an infinite way, in a perfect way. When Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin, he became not pleasing any longer to the Father. I can't comprehend these things. I can't even express them properly. I'm telling you what I know from the Word of God, that the Son of God, for a time on the cross, in which darkness covered the land, and the Son entered into that kind of darkness, That sin creates. Being the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus became sin for us. Therefore he was hated by the Father as he bore our sins on the cross in our place. I wish I could express in a deeper way. But God doesn't give us that. He gives us what we need and what we need is to observe the reality that an infinite eternal I am hung upon a piece of wood beaten and rejected by men and then far greater paying the penalty of sin in his own essence in his own being that went against his nature. The nature of the Father to punish the Son. The Father who is his only beloved Son. His perfect Son. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Doesn't even begin to express the love that the Father has for the Son. Understand the offering. Understand what's being offered here to those who are listening right now. If you haven't already received Jesus Christ. What's being offered and what could be rejected. Understand that if you go into eternity having rejected something as great as what I'm trying to express right now, that you do at that point deserve the hell that you will experience. I know, apart from the grace of God, I would go to hell and I would deserve every minute of it, every second of it for all eternity. All eternity. So that after the eons of time has gone by, there will be eons more. Understand eternity, because you're being offered something right now that it can save you. All of that, all of that. God is infinite. He's infinite in righteousness. He's infinite in wrath. He's infinite in grace. In love, in forgiveness, in mercy. He takes our sins and he casts them into the depth of the sea, the scripture says. As far as the east is from the west. That's in a straight line. So far have I removed your sins from you. I will remember them no more. understand that God obviously is aware of everything. But he chooses throughout all eternity... To not remember our sins. And he's capable of doing that. He will not remember our sins. When he sees a child of God, he sees his son that paid the price for our sins in an infinite way, in an eternal way. We do not tread on the sacrificial sacrifice, the sacrifice of the Son of God, the the sufferings of the Son, by saying, by the works of the law, we enter into heaven. How dare any person, and I'm not saying that, but God would say that, to tread on the sufferings of Christ, because our faith is faith alone, because it's in Christ alone. It's not in ourselves. If you're part of a religious group that doesn't believe that, and there aren't many, you better rethink that. You better rethink that really carefully. So Paul, I'm going to conclude in a few verses here how he concludes Romans chapter 4 when he says, Now to him that works, the the reward is not reckoned as of grace, but as of a debt. But to him that works not, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, His faith is reckoned for righteousness. You want to enter in heaven? You have to be righteous. Be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. Perfectly righteous. You want perfect righteousness? Then you have to believe not by works of the law, but by faith. Even as David also pronounced blessing upon the man unto whom God reckons righteousness apart from works. (laughs) That's what Paul said. Regardless of what people from cults and false religions say, God's holy word makes the case undeniable. The reward is reckoned of grace and justified by faith and not of works. Paul makes his point doubly by saying by David, the scriptures say God reckons righteousness apart from works. I mean, how much more clear can you get? And then in 7, saying, Blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. It just doesn't get clearer than that. If you think it's faith and works that get you to heaven, you will be damned for an eternity. I do not say these things with any anger or to hurt any person. I'm merely saying what God says all through The scriptures. Hear him. Hear the words of Romans chapters three and four. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for this message that God delivered through the Apostle Paul in writing to the Roman believers to that church in Rome. A church of Jews and Gentiles, a church that was a church. It was an assembly of people who were called out of the world made holy. It was set apart for a holy purpose. They were set apart for God's purpose because you alone are, her, are holy. Lord, I pray that you would grant every person hearing these words reading Romans chapter 3 and 4 would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's the only way I know how to pray. I I don't know those who belong to Jesus, those who are given him by the Father, and not for me to question any such thing, or any man. Lord, make us not to question anything or anyone hearing this or thinking about this right now. Instead of questioning, may they just bend the knee, bow the head, take the humble position of the sinner who is worthy to be broken, broken of pride, broken of arrogance, broken of thoughts that would exalt self over God and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is the only way of salvation. Jesus is the one who gave as only God can give and went into the grave, took our place and and three days later was raised from the dead, righteous and holy. We are not only dead in Christ when we believe, but risen in righteousness. When God, we know when you see us, you see your Son. Lord, give people faith to believe this message. I ask it in Jesus' name.